0: Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, and today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, looking at verses 13 through 15. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and we have now entered into the third major section of the book of Galatians. If you've been following now for several months as we've been in this sermon series, you'll remember that the first major section of Galatians was where the Apostle Paul was defending his own ministry as an apostle. Defending his own gospel message as he was proclaiming it to the Galatians. And then the second major section was where Paul was defending the actual message of the gospel itself against what the false teachers were saying. And he was defending it through rich theological arguments, looking at biblical history, showing us the truth of what God has done for us in Christ. And now we have reached the third major section in the book of Galatians, where Paul is now declaring the proper way to apply the gospel to our lives. He's showing us what we should do in light of what Christ has done for us, how we should live, how we should serve, how we should be obedient followers of him. Some have labeled this section as the ethical section of the letter. And several months back when we began, we titled the sermon series, Gospel Freedom for Godly Living. And you can say that the first two sections of this letter were, were dedicated to understanding what gospel freedom is all about. And the last section of this letter is the part about godly living, how the gospel transforms our lives to live in the way that Christ has called us. And I want to begin the third section today with the topic of the freedom to love and serve one another. So I want to invite you as you found your place, if you're able to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word as our authority that we have from above. And beginning in verse 13, Paul writes, "'For you were called to freedom, brothers,' Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another, the word of God. You may be seated. Such a great command and stern warning that we see here from the Apostle Paul. You know, in just a few weeks, we as a nation are going to celebrate Independence Day on the 4th of July. This is a great celebration that we do every year. We look back at what was accomplished in the year 1776 when the United States actually was formed and we pulled away from Great Britain, establishing our independence and giving us so many freedoms that we enjoy and love to this day. But you know, the freedom that we have as Americans is much more than just something on paper. The freedom we have as Americans is a way of life. It gives us new abilities. It gives us new opportunities. It helps us to have new privileges in this world we live in. The freedom we have is much more than just something that is written, but it's something that we actually do and live in together. For example, when we established our freedom For the first time, we actually had the freedom of free speech, where we could share our opinions, our criticisms, voice how we feel in public, and it's completely legal. We have the freedom of religion, where we are able to choose who we worship and and what our faith should be, and we can do anything we want to when it comes to where we put our hope and faith in religion, and hopefully it's in Christianity. And then we also have the the freedom to bear arms, which means that we have the right to own firearms for self-defense. It's a great freedom that is not available in many places throughout the world. We have the freedom to own private property, to have a place of our own, the, the freedom to vote where we can elect our own leaders and have people to represent us in the government. All of these great freedoms and many more are the results of what happened in 1776 when we established our freedom as a nation. But I can tell you that even greater than the earthly freedom that we have as Americans is the eternal freedom that we have through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you are an American or not, as long as you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, anywhere you are in the world, you will have the greatest freedom that has ever been known to man, the freedom to know God and to serve him and to love him forever. That's the freedoms that we have. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of this freedom here in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, for you were called to freedom. Now, freedom in Christ is a major theme all throughout the New Testament. But specifically in the book of Galatians, it is mentioned several times about the freedoms that we have in our faith in Jesus. I mean, from chapter 2 through chapter 4, here in chapter 5, we keep seeing this recurring theme about freedom in Christ. In fact, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 5, For freedom, Christ has set us free. You know, many have said that this spiritual freedom in Christ is the essence of our salvation. It's the very heart of the gospel and the power for doing what's right before God. That's what gospel freedom is all about. But what exactly does this freedom mean for us? How does it look in our lives and what does it really do for us as believers? Well, throughout Scripture, there's basically three freedoms that we see that sort of summarize a lot of other freedoms. But these freedoms are very important in our understanding of the gospel. For example, one freedom we have is the freedom to know God and have eternal life. See, whereas we were once separated from God and dead in our sins and deserving of eternal judgment in hell with no hope of saving ourselves, Through Christ Jesus, God has set us free from the laws of sin and death. He has enabled us to have fellowship with him and to have eternal life because of what Jesus did in our place. And nothing can ever change our status as God's people. There's nothing that we can ever do to lose our salvation or to lose this freedom to know God and have eternal life. We are no longer under the bounds or the burden of judgment and death. That's one aspect of our freedom. Another aspect of our freedom is that we have the freedom to be accepted by God as righteous. You know, whereas God required all humans to keep the law perfectly in order to make peace with him, which could not be done by any of us because of our fallen condition, through Christ, God sent Jesus into the world to live the perfect life that we were supposed to live and to die on the cross to pay for all the mistakes that we made So that we could be declared righteous in God's eyes. So that we could take on the appearance of being holy and perfect just like Jesus when it comes to the time of judgment. And it's through faith in the person and work of Christ that we actually have Christ's righteousness given to us and we are no longer under the burden of the law. That's a great freedom that we have. We're no longer judged by the law but we're judged by Christ's performance which is perfect. It's a great freedom. Another freedom that we see in Scripture is the freedom to worship God and to live for Christ. This is a great freedom. Sometimes it's overlooked. We think about the freedoms of forgiveness, of knowing God, of being in heaven, and all those types of things. But the freedom that we have that's really important is that we are now free to worship God and to live for Christ. You see, whereas once we were rebellious and sinful in nature, dead in our trespasses and sins, we opposed the will of God, Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have now been given a new heart, a new life. We have been uh, released from the shackles of the slavery of sin that we were once involved in, where we couldn't choose anything but what was wrong. And now we are free to do what God says. And not only free to do it, but we're also enabled to enjoy it and to love it and to desire it. God has set us free from our sinful past that we could never have been free from on our own. We would have never even wanted it if it hadn't been for God's grace. But he's given us freedom to do what he's called us to do and to enjoy him while we're doing it. So we're no longer under the burden and control of sin. Those are some great freedoms that we enjoy in Christ. And I can tell you today that if you've been born again in Christ, if you are a believer in him, you will have experienced these freedoms in your life. They will be a reality to how you live and and who you are and what you do. These are great freedoms. But you know, when we think about freedom, we have to understand that our freedom also comes with responsibility. We have to be responsible with the freedom that has been given to us. For example, we as Americans have the freedom of speech, but we can't run into a crowded theater yelling fire just to see how many people get excited. It's illegal. You can't do that. But even though we have freedom of speech, you can't act in that way. You can't go out and protest your views, which is legal, by burning down buildings and destroying property, as we've seen so many times recently. It's great to be able to protest when we have burdens on our hearts, but you have to do it responsibly with that freedom. You know, we have the right to, to bear arms for defending ourselves, but we can't take that freedom just to go out and hurt whoever we choose. That's not how freedom works. So whereas we have great freedom, there is also great responsibility. And this was something that Paul was burdened with when it came to the church in Galatia. Because a lot of the Galatians understood their freedom. They knew they had eternal life. They could no longer be judged, that they were given this new life in Christ, that there was hope for them for eternity and nothing could possibly change because of God's grace. But yet some of those believers thought that they could just now go out and live however they wanted to doing anything they wanted to, doing, living in sin, doing anything else, and God would always be there to forgive them, and they could really just live however they wanted to. They were using their freedom as an excuse for sinful and selfish living. But that is not what God intended by giving us this freedom in Christ. It's not a license to sin. It's not, it's not something that we should view as an opportunity to sin. You see, there are some people today who think that they can go out and live sinfully, always remembering that God is going to be right there to forgive them. Some people have told me before in person that God knows that we're, we're, we're fallen humans. He knows that we can't live exactly as he says. He knows that we can't be perfect. So if we make some mistakes along the way, God is just fine with it. But that is not the truth that we see in Scripture. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that because Christ has freed us from the bondage of sin that we were in, that now we should live out in the best way we can before God. We should always try to be obedient, doing everything we can do to avoid sin and to live in righteousness. That is the essence of our freedom in Christ. This is why Paul says here in verse 13, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, the flesh is that old sinful nature that we have, even as believers. It's the old us, the the, the part of our lives that was rebellious toward God, the part of our hearts that was resistant to his will, the the state that we were in before we came to know Christ. Well, that's the old flesh. It's our selfish nature that, that doesn't want to do anything but what we want to do, and it resists the will of God. And even though Christ has set us free as believers from our old self and from sin and death, it's not a complete freedom until we get to heaven because while we're on earth even though we have a freedom over sin and we can choose to resist sin and it no longer enslaves us the bible says there are times though that our flesh wants to take over and we can be enticed to sin and we can fall into it and there's this constant battle between doing what is in god's will and doing what is in our in our old flesh and it's a battle that we have to fight on a daily basis and when we get to heaven the The flesh will completely be dead and we will live eternally in perfection. But until we get there, there is this battle between what is right and what is wrong in our lives. And we have to fight it, although we do have the power of Christ on our side, which makes a complete difference. But Paul says here, don't use this freedom. In other words, don't use your knowledge of your salvation. Don't use your forgiveness of your sins. Don't use the work of Christ on your behalf as a license or an opportunity to do wicked things in your life. Don't just do something saying, well, it's okay, God will forgive me for it. Don't live that way. That's not the reason that God gave you freedom. He gave you freedom to live in obedience, not further opposition. That is the message of the gospel. And one of the areas that I think a lot of people struggle in this freedom, when it comes to living in the flesh or living in Christ, is in the area of our relationships, You see, the Apostle Paul was concerned that the Galatians were not having good relationships with one another because maybe they were thinking they didn't have to because they were already free in Christ and forgiven for their sins and they could just treat anybody as they wanted to. But he was very concerned about their relationships, how they treated and served one another, how the church was either unified or not, perhaps how they treated outsiders who were not a part of their church family. He was very concerned about this because there was some evidence perhaps that there were a lot of problems and and anger and, and violence developing in the church between the people. And he wanted to remind them that this is not what Christ has called you to. This is not where your freedom should lead. It should lead to love and service toward one another, not selfishness and hatred. And that's the message that I want you to understand today is that if we have freedom in Christ, it should really lead us to want to love and serve one another, not stay selfish and show hate toward one another. That's where our freedom in Christ should lead us. So, today, as we look at this passage and the remainder of the time that we have, I want to focus on where our freedom in Christ should lead us and where it should not lead us. And I want us to understand how our freedom in Christ should manage and affect our relationships with each other. So, let's look at number one here the freedom to love and serve, the freedom to love and serve. You know, Paul begins by showing us where true Christian freedom should lead us in our relationships, how God's spirit should empower us to love and serve one another. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You notice the word but here right in the middle of verse 13. It indicates a major contrast or a change of thought. Rather than the selfish and hateful desires that come through our flesh, that come out of our old condition, believers should live lives of love in the spiritual freedom that Christ has given us. Because Christ has given us this freedom to love others based upon his love for us, we should live our lives in a way that loves those around us deeply. In fact, the word here, for the Greek word for love here is agape, which there's a lot of words in the Greek language for love, but this is the strongest one. In fact, it talks about love that is unselfish, it's outgoing, it's self-giving, it's the love that's patient and kind and faithful and reliable and trustworthy. In fact, this type of love reflects the very love of God that he has for us through Christ. So that's the type of love that should be displayed in our lives If we are really free in Christ from our sins, that's the type of love that we should have. And it only comes through being regenerated and filled with God's Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, you get a a part of God in you as the Holy Spirit comes in you and you should be taking on characteristics like God. That's the difference in a person who is saved and one who is lost. They begin to appear and to look and act just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And love would be at the top of the list. But the question becomes, how should our love be expressed? Should it, is it just enough to say, I love you, or we, or we tell people that as a church we love each other? Is that really enough when it comes to expressing love? You see, real love is expressed in the way that we serve and treat each other. It comes in the way that we relate to one another on a physical and personal level, how we treat and serve one another. And that's why Paul says here in these verses, He says that through this love that you have in Christ, you should be serving one another. That's how your love is evident. That's how it should be displayed. That's how you know if you have real freedom in Christ is that you not only just say you love, but you serve each other in love. It's interesting here that the word serve can actually be translated as slave, like a a slave in ancient times. And some have even translated this verse as through love act as slaves toward one another. See, the verb is a, is a, it takes on the continual action. It's something that you don't just do one day, but it's a lifestyle. You continue to serve one another. And if you do a study of the word here, such service includes self-sacrifice, sacrificing what you want to do for the sake of someone else, having grace toward one another, and forgiveness, especially when others wrong you. Serving one another means that we should have deep affection and genuine sympathy for each other when things are not going right. We should want to give ourselves to help other people. It means that we should have a readiness to render assistance and a willingness to give and help others in a time of need. That's the type of service that that God is saying that we should have as a result of our relationship with him. And he's not talking about just your friends or your family or people that you've known a long time. He's saying that such love and such service through Christ should be given to everyone that you know in that way. God doesn't reward you just for loving your favorites or your friends or your family. It's how you treat everyone that you come into contact with, regardless of who they are or what they're like or how different they may be from you. That's the type of love and service that is given through the Spirit working in our hearts You see, while the old flesh that we have resists this type of love and sacrifice, we know that in Christ, he gives us this freedom, this ability, this desire to live this way. And it's all based upon him. You know, Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to do this because this is what I have done. I have modeled this for you. In fact, I went so far as to give my own life. That's how much I loved and wanted to serve the people of God. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-7, through seven, Paul says this about Christ. Have this mind among yourselves. In other words, make this who you are, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We should take on the mind of Christ, serve as he did, even to the extreme limits of what we can do for others. And Paul says it like this in Romans 12, verses 9 through 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And I really like this. Outdo one another in showing honor. You should try to outdo those who love and serve you. You should want to do even more than they do. And if everyone had that type of mindset, could you imagine what a loving place the church would be if we were all trying to outdo one another in showing honor and love and respect and gentleness and forgiveness and all the rest? It would be an amazing place. Paul says it like this in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. And if you remember the time when someone asked the Lord Jesus Well, what is it that we should do? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, Well, there's actually two. The first is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And what Paul is saying here, along with the Lord Jesus Christ, is that when you love and serve one another from a genuine heart, you're basically fulfilling everything that God said in the Old Testament about loving your neighbor. You're fulfilling if you if you can have this attitude of love and service in your heart. You won't have any problem doing everything else God said to do. You're fulfilling all of these things. And what it really shows is is that if you're loving and serving in this way, you are directly centered in the will of God. You are right where God wants you to be if your life is filled with this kind of love and service. You know, one of the, the most joyful things about this past week, and I'm sure those of you who worked and served can attest to this, was just the love and camaraderie and the fellowship and the service that we were able to experience among one another. We had so many projects going on, whether they were projects here at the church or we were serving food or cooking or out in the community in parks and in neighborhoods or we were building or visiting people or going to play. I mean, there was so many things that we did and they were all great things. But one of the things I noticed all week long, and I wasn't everywhere all the time, but just the love that our own church members had toward each other. the, the way we served one another and helped each other along the way. There was a great unity and a sense of peace that we had this past week that can only come from God. It was just a joy. That's what God has called us as a church to do, to live and to be like, is to work with one another, to love one another, not to argue, to fuss or to fight or to have divisions, but to be unified, loving and serving as we go along in this world. That's the type of church that the lost world will see and glorify God for and be attracted to. And that's where we need to be as a church. So why do we call this the freedom to love and serve? Well, it's very simple. The only way, and and this is very important, the only way that any of us will ever love and serve and model Christ and outdo one another and all these things, the only way this will ever happen is if Christ has freed us from our flesh and our sinfulness and enabled us to do all of these things. We can't do it on our own. It's not our nature. It's not who we are as as humans born in this world. It is completely against how we think and feel without Christ. The only way it can ever happen is if Christ is ruling our lives, giving us the freedom to do these things. And if you are able to live this way, it's only because Christ has freed you to be there through his grace. So I would encourage you, if your freedom in Christ is real, it will lead you to love and serve one another. Now we know that there are times though that our sinful flesh creeps back into our lives when the devil tempts us and he tries to persuade us to do things against the will of God and there are times that we don't always love and serve one another. Let's be honest, there are those times in our lives when we are not right with God and we're not right with each other. But what consequences do we face for not living in the freedom that Christ has given us? Well, that's what Paul wants to show us in this last verse It's the consequences of selfishness and hate. Look with me in verse 15. Paul finishes by saying, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now you'll notice again here that Paul uses the word but to make a contrast. He's no longer talking about loving and serving. He's showing us the opposite about people who bite and devour each other inside the local church. It's an interesting metaphor that Paul uses from the animal world. When animals fight with one another, he's describing the bickering and fighting with each other that comes with the church that refuses to love and serve. It comes with individuals whose hearts are not right with God. You see, I remember back when we were in Haiti on a mission trip, we would sleep every night in a room that was in the neighborhood in the house and, and the windows were always open so you could hear everything outside. And almost every night we heard this pack of dogs that just were barking and and biting and they were into it all night long and just scrapping around, probably fighting over food or for their mate or who knows what. But these dogs were just at each other, very loud, disruptive and obnoxious all night long. It's very hard to sleep listening to that. But Paul is saying that this is what the reality is in some of the churches, You walk into the church and all you hear is fighting and fussing and people uh, talking about each other and and there's all these problems that are unresolved. There's no unity in the church. John Stott says that conflict more fitting of wild animals than brothers of Christ. Does that describe your life? Does that describe how you treat others and your lack of service? That you're more like wild animals fighting than, than the brothers or sisters in Christ? You know, it's interesting that he uses the the words "bite" and "devour" here, because the word "bite" is not necessarily always used for animals in the Bible, but it, but it's particularly used for snakes, serpents in the Bible, serpents biting people, and biting other things. You know, throughout the Bible, the serpent has been characterized as a a figure of Satan. It's the activity of Satan to bite as a serpent, and it's interesting too that he uses the word "devour," which in, in First Peter he says that Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking to, to chomp at someone, to hurt someone, injure someone, especially believers. Paul is telling us, basically, here that such activity is not from the Spirit of God, but it's from the Spirit of Satan. Biting and devouring people in a church and hurting others, that's not that's not freedom in Christ. That's still following your old sinful your own sinful habits and your own flesh. You know, Paul, I'm sure he pictures, like many people today, these church members going after each other like wild beasts. He's, he's talking about church members that are always criticizing one another, those who are spreading gossip, they're engaged in arguments, they're holding grudges, they're not willing to forgive one another, they're insulting each other, talking behind each other's backs, not being gracious toward one another, they're causing disunity you know, we hear so many stories, sad stories of churches that are, that are not in unity this day and time, that are, that are having these problems. And it comes over some of the most trivial things like people not agreeing on the carpet color, people upset because mistakes have been found in the bulletin, somebody's favorite song not being sung enough times through the worship services, people sitting in someone else's pew. They didn't have the proper license to sit there somebody else owned it. That's that's the kind of thing that you see churches bickering over a lot of times. It's really sad. But then there's even the more serious things where there's long-term problems between people that never got resolved. There's conflict. There's arguments. There's disagreements. There's people's selfishness that gets in the way. All of those things are, are churned up by Satan to cause church members to bite and devour one another. And you can be sure that that is not the result of the Holy Spirit working in the church. It's not Christian freedom. It's the work of Satan through the flesh of us as fallen creatures. It's not of God. And there are some severe consequences that we face if we engage in this type of activity. Notice that Paul says at the very end that we need to watch out, that you are not consumed by one another. Now, this word consumed is a very strong word in the Bible. It talks about utter destruction, complete destruction when it comes to whatever is being consumed. What he's telling us here, he's warning us that if our speech and our attitudes are not filled with love and service, but rather hate and selfishness and all the other evil things we could do, that God is not going to bless our church. And if it continues without repentance, he will remove our church, that we will no longer be here together, that he will remove his lampstand, as he says in the book of Revelation, from where we are, and there will not be any more us. He will Finally, give us over to our flesh, give us over to our sin, and do away with us as a church family. That's the ultimate result. How many times have you heard of church splits? You've heard of churches dividing, and now there's no longer churches there because they're not in the will of God. That is the danger that we need to be aware of when it comes to living in the flesh versus living in the Spirit through freedom in Christ. You know, we should not ever use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but use our freedom to love and serve one another. That's what Paul is telling us here. I just wonder how many of you today need to get your hearts right with the Lord. Maybe some of this this flesh is coming through your life and there there are problems. Maybe you have an agenda against someone else. Maybe there's old problems that have never gone resolved and you won't even talk to the person or you have a hard time seeing them. Maybe you have a hateful attitude, a critical spirit. Maybe you're always looking for something to gripe about. Those things aren't from God. And the quicker that you repent of that sin and get your life right with him will be the quicker that you are are very close to God in your relationship and the church will continue to prosper and do as he's called us to do. It all comes down to our hearts and how we are able to forgive and to serve one another. You know, we do serve a God of grace He's willing to forgive anyone who would turn away from their sin. I can promise you there is not anything you've ever done in your life so bad that God is not willing to forgive you for. If you fall on your knees before him in humility and say, God, I've messed up, please forgive me. I want to get my life right. I want to serve you. That's what you need to do. But I can tell you that that only comes through freedom. And you need to have the freedom of Christ in your life. And the way that happens is that you recognize that you are a sinner before God that you don't have any righteousness of your own, and you call out to God for his forgiveness. You, you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he lived a perfect life in your place and he died to forgive you of all of your sins. And then when you turn to him in faith, the Bible says that God will save you. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He will renew your heart. He will give you the freedom to live and to serve him as he originally called you to do before you were a fallen person. That is where God wants you to be. And it only comes through the freedom in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, with such a humble heart. We know, Lord, that our, that our flesh is so strong at times. Lord, that we have such an, an urge in our hearts at times to do things against your will. And Lord, just as fallen creatures, we know that the victory has been won, Lord, but we still face several battles. Father, I pray that you would just give us the grace today to be able to do what is right. Lord, to be able to live for you in a way that honors you and glorifies you, to, to serve you and to love others and to do all these things that the Scripture's called us to do. Father, we just pray that you would allow us to use our freedom in Christ in those ways, not as an opportunity for the flesh, but as a way to serve and to love you and to love others. Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would open their heart to this truth, that you would let them to know, help them to know, Lord, that there's no way out of this life on their own, that they must have you to have eternal life. And Father, we pray that you would lead them to repentance and faith in Christ. Lord, be with us today, and we we give you the glory for all that you're doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.